All right, well, since you're already seated, go ahead and stay seated. Good morning or good afternoon. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy that you're with us this afternoon. Thank you for being here. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it or load it to Luke chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 33 this afternoon. Once more, this is Luke 14 verses 25 to 33. While you open or load your Bibles, I've got a couple of updates for you or a couple of quick announcements. The first one is that if you are new, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, in our Connect desk, we have these Connect cards where you can leave your information or even ways in which we can pray for you. And so I just want to encourage you, invite you to fill one out and drop it off at the Connect desk. One of our staff members will get with you within 24 hours. In addition to that, if you do not have a Bible, let us gift you God's Word. We have those available in the pews and also in the Connect desk. Last thing that I have for you, and you're going to hear more about this during our time of announcements, but beginning January 18th, we're going to be starting this class. We did this class last year. It's called DOXA, An Introduction to Christian Belief. Ultimately, it is a class on systematic theology by way of the Apostles' Creed. And so we did a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed a couple years ago. Uh, last year when we started this class, we walked through this short book over the course of of six sessions. The class is January 18th through March 29th. That's a span of 10 weeks, and we met and we will meet every other week. So six sessions over the span of 10 weeks. So whether you're a new believer, you've been walking with the Lord for several years, you want to grow in your theological development, your understanding of who God is and what he has done for us, visit our website, sign up for the class. Uh, the cost of the course, I believe, is $30, and that hooks you up with the book so that we walk through it this semester. Uh, again, you'll hear more about that later on. Other than that, let's go ahead and just dig into our time. We love comfort. And to be honest, it's good to be comfortable. A cool front, in case you didn't know, is coming through the valley today and tomorrow, and we're going to be very comfortable as we bundle ourselves up in 83-degree weather. <laughs> when you walked through the doors of this church, you were greeted by members of our congregation. You were invited to grab a cup of hot coffee and then led into this room so that you would worship God through song and prayer, and we hope that you're comfortable. We hope that you're comfortable because comfort is a good thing. But what happens when our comfort goes from being a good thing to a God thing? Last week, if you were here, Tony opened up our new series called An Idol Factory, where for the next four weeks, we're going to examine and identify specific idols that take root in our heart. In our time, you will see that each idol, to some degree, connects to the other, often blending into each other rather than just being separate. Today, we begin with the idol of comfort. The idol of comfort, as you'll notice, is going to be tricky because comfort has many faces. Comfort can take the form of our possessions, for example. Our living space, our homes, our houses can be areas of comfort. For instance, 
the average size of a new home in the 1950s was just a little bit more than 960 square feet. Fast forward to today, and the average size of a new home is a little bit more than 2,600 square feet. In addition to that, we have less people living in our homes, but we have more space and stuff in our houses. If that's not your thing, like whatevs, we even have this thing called comfort food, right? When it comes to comfort food, you'll remember with me that the holidays, the holidays just passed, and one of the most common gifts that we give one another is chocolate. Y'all dig chocolate, right? Globally, our population consumed about, this was weird because I didn't think this was true, 7.5 million tons of chocolate, that's in 2022. Within the same study or the same statistics, uh, uh, driving to the United States alone, the average American eats about 19.8 pounds of chocolate a year. I just literally just saw someone look down. So I know what your idol is, okay. Maybe that's not your thing. Comfort food isn't your thing. Well, let's consider maybe comfort in the context of independence. There are many of you who would find comfort perhaps in a lack of commitment or you see great value in personal freedom or autonomy. You like your space. You like your thing. You like the way things are and your house. And when someone comes in, it's just not cool because they touch things. Right? Further, we have comfort in the face of relationships, where it's not just simply the joy to be in a relationship, but there's this thing called codependency. We even have words to soften it up, like attachment. Indicators of codependency range from anything such as exclusivity and blurred lines to jealousy and forced fused lives, in addition to constant connection. All with the illusional hope that a relationship doesn't only bring comfort, but wholeness. Finally, consider financial security. It is good to save money. It is good to have and pass on an inheritance, but to assume that this comfort provides you with safety and security is a lie. Why? Well, because each one of these, each one of these masks, each one of these faces, each one of these comforts can be taken away from you at any moment. Each one of these requires you to pay, or to worship, depending on how you look at it, requires you to pay in order to play so that you think you have control. Each one of these is incapable of satisfying the nagging internal desire for true comfort and rest. Each one of these is a good thing that often becomes a God thing. The fundamental message of the Bible is God saying to you and I to turn away from our idols and turn to Jesus for our ultimate value, worth, safety, security, all in the confounds of our identity, ultimately for our rest. Because here's the reality. Our souls 
cannot find rest when our hearts long for comfort outside of Jesus. Our souls cannot find rest when our hearts long for comfort outside of Jesus. So I'm going to read our text, and let me give you this quick preface. We're going to be bouncing around a bit before we get to it, but this is the main text of our time. Let me read Luke 14, and then I will pray for our time. This is Luke 14, once more, we just got in, beginning in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all things that he has cannot be my disciple. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you and your mercies, your new mercies today. As we examine your word, give us ears to listen, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Help us, Holy Spirit, to confront and to confess the sins of our heart and hands. Help us, Holy Spirit, to embrace the grace that you freely work in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you Google the word comfort, excuse me, when you Google the word discomfort, you'll find images of people in distress. You'll see people or images of people uh, with their hands on their head because they have a headache or something is wrong. You'll even see painful images of someone maybe crouching on the floor, holding on to their knees. You'll see images that indicate depression in individuals. But then, the same thing, when you do a Google search on the word comfort, you'll find images of fine dining, leather couches, and snuggles around a fire in the background far removed from your normal settings. This little study gives us insight to the invitation to pursue comfort. You see, what we learn is that when we experience discomfort, the goal is to see how we can become comfortable again. When we experience discomfort, the idea that you and I tend to have is, how fast can this be over so that we can get back to our comfort? 
we learn that when it comes to discomfort, we do not want to experience negativity such as shame. Shame tends to be identity-centered. And I'm this kind of person. I hate that I'm this kind of person. We don't want to uh, experience feelings of guilt when we've maybe done some things wrong or we've sinned against others. We don't want to experience even feelings of personal responsibility where we need to take ownership over decisions that we've made, people that we've hurt, circumstances that we find ourselves in. Whatever it is, we don't like experiencing those things, and so we want to run to comfort as quickly as possible. And that's why when it comes to these comfort images, they're all escapes. Lay their couches so that you can just chill, find dining so that you can forget about your problems, and then going around a fireplace so that you can just go as far and as fast away from whatever your reality is. When you and I admit that we turn and pursue comfort escapes, we realize that this is the equivalent of looking to seawater in hopes of quenching our unbearable thirst. See, the irony of drinking seawater is that if you drink too much, you'll die of dehydration. That's the irony of idols. Their destruction lies in their, ple in their pleasure. In his book on developing leaders, Pastor Bob Thune identifies and elaborates on specific idols and the prices that you and I are most often willing to pay to keep them alive and well. When we consider comfort, that is, everything from privacy to a lack of stress to freedom to all the things that we've already talked about, this is what he says. The price I'm willing to pay for my comfort is often reduced productivity. My greatest nightmare is stress and demands. When I pursue this comfort, or excuse me, when I pursue this idol of comfort, others often feel hurt. Both Pastor Bob Thune and our little Google experiment teaches us that comfort is this internal desire and longing that you and I seek relief for externally. When it comes to comfort, when it comes to discomfort, when you and I experience that, we want to pursue comfort and we do so to find relief externally in people and in other things. And the problem is that when we turn to someone or something apart from Jesus, our comfort isn't relieved or satisfied. It is only grown and it begins to evolve. So for a moment, let's consider Luke chapter 12. I think this will be up on the screen. Here's what Jesus says. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I want you to pay attention to this. This is the man talking to himself, and he says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
The problem with the rich man in this parable wasn't only his misuse of wealth. In other words, he accumulated wealth and then he became self-absorbed and he became about accumulating more and more. It wasn't just that he misused wealth. It was that his concern was centered so much on his wealth as opposed to his soul. And so in the story, we see God say that ultimately one day his possessions will be enjoyed by someone else. Or in addition to that, he could lose all of them. In summary, when it comes to this parable, God is saying, what good is your wealth if you die hopeless? It is the same question that you and I receive in terms of our pursuit of comfort. One sociologist says it this way. The goal is to, talking about comfort, the goal is to make life constantly more comfortable and more convenient, to forestall want and to satisfy the slightest need without effort and virtually without cost. Notice the last line, such goals are small, but the soul invests in them. The problem with the pursuit of comfort, apart from Jesus, is, here it is, it cannot provide you rest. The problem with the pursuit of comfort, apart from Jesus, is that it cannot provide you with rest. In Matthew 11, Jesus teaches that the comfort that you and I actually seek and the one he provides is a rest of soul. You see, apart from Jesus, our hearts are not only wandering, they are restless. Consider Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The comfort that Jesus promises is a rest of soul. As we continue, the problem of the pursuit of comfort, that is, that it cannot provide us with rest, is that it is built on an entire culture of comfort-seeking. And it doesn't only exist in the world. It's really easy to look at these idols and say, man, these are the things that the world preaches to us. These are the things that are outside of the church. But in reality, some of these things, such as the pursuit of comfort, seeps into the church. The truth is that the church, our church, is not immune to this idol. Last week, Tony pointed out that as the Apostle Paul was addressing the worthlessness and weakness of idols, he was pointing this out to Christians. He wasn't addressing pagans or unbelievers. He's addressing people who said that they belong to Jesus, that they follow Jesus, that they worship Jesus, that they've given their lives to Jesus and have been affected by the pursuit of idols. And while it is true, everyone worships something, whether you're a Christian or not, everyone worships something. Church, do not fall under the impression that you are immune to the idol of comfort. 
For all we know, it's simply another mask, a mask of religion. The desire is still the same thing, longing to be satisfied and relieved and finding comfort, but still restless. For instance, we are products of what we pay attention to. Repeatedly throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus beginning with words or phrases such as, listen, or to those who have ears, listen. The question for you and I is, what are you listening to? What is it that you give yourself, or what is it that you give your attention to? My concern is that many turn toward false teaching and teachers who are using biblical language to sound hopeful, but in reality are really just tickling your ear. You see, if you give more, then you'll get more, and then finally you'll have comfort. If you pray more and if you have more faith, then you will have comfort. If you do enough good things and none of those bad things, then you will finally find comfort. You have this even in the occasions of spirituality. Be a better version of yourself so that you can find comfort. You know, if you were to just look within yourself to find your truest self, then you would have comfort. And those are a little bit abstract when it comes to false teachers and even spirituality, but it even seeps into preferences. I don't like a specific kind of worship style. I am not a fan of pews. I don't like this Bible translation. I'm not really sure about the lights being dimmed. Whatever your thing is, insert yours in the blank form, right? And you will realize that really, you just want your self-entitled comfort. If it's not in the areas of false uh, theology and teaching, if it's not in the areas of spirituality or even our own preferences, sometimes it's even within our own understanding where we literally try to manipulate ourselves just so that we can justify our comfort and our sin. Most Christians, or many Christians I should say, would say something like, well, God understands my heart, therefore he knows why I'm seeking comfort in something or in someone. Here would be my encouragement. He does understand your heart, and he calls it idolatry. Okay? It's not, he doesn't call it attachment. He doesn't call it codependency. He doesn't call it materialistic value or comfort food or financial stability. He doesn't call it that you just love your job, but in reality you're a workaholic. He doesn't just call it just an addiction. He calls it idolatry, where a good thing has become a God thing. Church, here's what the world wants from you. The world wants Christians who are passively praising Jesus while aggressively pursuing comfort. The world wants passive Christians who say they pursue Jesus as long as they are aggressively pursuing comfort. And if that's not enough, here would be my dare. I dare you to look at your habits in order to understand or examine your heart. You would say, my habits? Yes, your daily habits. Your habits are formative. Meaning that no matter what you say, what you believe, or excuse me, no matter, uh, no matter what we say we believe, what we actually do reveals what our heart worships. 
Too many Christians think that they can worship Jesus and the world at the same time, but the Bible says that that individual is double-minded and unstable. Unstable because in a moment, as we look at Luke 14, we will see that when the foundation is rocked, so are they. The culture of comfort deceives Christians in thinking we can go to church and worship false idols too. So then how do we find a solution to comfort? Here's the paradox of the gospel. In other words, it's not going to make sense, but it makes sense. Here's the paradox of the gospel. It's only when dying to our comforts that we receive the greatest comfort of all. It is only when we receive and follow Jesus that we are given the greatest comfort of rest. Once more, consider Jesus' promise in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The comfort that Jesus promises is a rest of soul. You see, unlike salt water that can never satisfy, Jesus is the living water, where our souls find not only eternal rest, but present satisfaction. The living water is offered to anyone who would receive it, However, at this point, we must now consider Luke 14. Let's go to verse 25. Luke writes, Now the great crowds, or excuse me, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Here's what I love. Right? Jesus isn't really interested in having a huge platform. He's not really interested in being a social influencer because apparently that's a thing today. And at the same time, he's not really interested in like Instagram followers or Twitter followers or any of that stuff. He's not interested in that. Instead, what he does here is he stops to address the crowds that are following him, the multitudes that are following him, and he drops a word of, of caution when it comes to following him. Because on one hand, here's the thing, right? Man, Jesus promises rest of soul, the greatest comfort of all in him. And then in Luke 14, he's essentially going to drop a word of caution because he says, hey, I'm going to just put this on the table on what it looks to follow me. And he says that there is a cost that we must count. There's a cost that we must count. <clears throat> Verse 26, he says, if anyone, I won't read the whole thing again, but he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And finally, verse 33, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus, very practically speaking, says, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to deny, you're going to have to carry, and you're going to have to renounce. 
And so the first thing when it comes to deny, here's where he's talking about uh, hating our family, our father, our mother, our brother, our sisters, our spouse, even our own life. Oftentimes in the gospel, Jesus uses hyperboles. If you're not familiar with what a hyperbole is, it's really just a form of speech that exaggerates a point, right? And so here he's trying to make a point. Ultimately, when he uses the word hate, he's talking about uh, loving less. In other words, Jesus is saying, I must be your first love. I must be your ultimate treasure, Because if he's actually saying that we are to hate our family and friends, then that would be a contradiction to the fifth commandment. Here he's saying they come second, third, fourth, fifth. I am your first love. I am your ultimate love. Jesus must be our first love. The second thing that he says is that we must carry our cross. This is verse 27. Someone who does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In the days of Jesus, when you saw an individual holding on to this giant wooden plank, walking somewhere, you knew exactly what was about to happen. That that individual was going to die a criminal's death, number one, and number two, it was a one-way ticket. And so he uses that imagery so that you and I count the cost of following Jesus. It's a one-way ticket. In other words, carrying our cross means that we will die to ourselves daily. That our role, our call is to die or to put to death our selfishness, our self-righteousness our sin, our secrecy. That's what it means to carry your cross. And we, as Christians, do that daily. Putting to death our selfishness, our self-righteousness, our sin, and our secrecy. And then in verse 33, he says that you must renounce all that we have in order to be his disciple. In other words, the word renounce is to abandon all things, earthly comforts, earthly comforts that we cling to for the sake of satisfaction. Jesus says that if we're going to follow him, we must deny ourselves. We must carry our cross, and we must reject everything, that he must be our first love. And the reason he gives this warning is because when people don't count the cost, it's because they're not considering their selfishness or their sin or their self-righteousness. In other words, you hear, hey, rest of soul is for you, but make sure you count the cost. And some people will say, yeah, 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 I just want this thing. Just give me this thing. And that is a wonderful endeavor. I hope that if you do not know Jesus, you come to know him today, that you put your trust in him. And there is a cost. 
And so when we don't consider our selfishness, when we don't consider our self-righteousness, what ends up happening is that we are like the king who goes to war or the individual who is trying to build a tower. In other words, they got some of the materials, but not all of the materials. And so now the foundation isn't laid well and they're unable to finish it. And they look like a fool to everyone else, to those watching, to the king who is going to war and only has 10,000 soldiers and is not taking into account the 20,000 soldiers that are on the other side, before he leads his men into slaughter, he's supposed to count the cost. Otherwise, he looks like a fool. People get hurt. People get abused in so many different ways. You must count the cost. Why? Because we are not immune to this idol. The world isn't just going to want us to pursue comforts. We're going to want to swerve from every doctrine. Count the cost. If you don't count or if you don't consider the cost, you'll look like a fool. Why? Because whatever it is that you hold on to, apart from Jesus in times of ease, is what you will hold on to in times of discomfort. In Luke 14, here would be my summary. Jesus wants disciples, not divas. We're regularly told that the Christian life is not about comfort. Author C.S. Lewis says it this way, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. So, so then, does that imply that God never wants us to be comforted or comfortable or comforted? What about, what about the, the beatitude that says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted? What about that? What about 2 Corinthians 1? Jesus wants disciples who are secure in the comfort of him. Not the circumstance, not the possession, not the other person apart from him. Jesus wants disciples who, yes, enjoy the gift of wealth or possessions or relationships, but their hands are open because they have the greatest comfort of all, a rest of soul. Once more, consider Matthew 16. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, there's that language again, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? One commentator says it this way. It costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a mere nominal Christian... To go to church is cheap and easy work. But to follow Christ requires self-denial. It will cost us our sin, our self-righteousness, our comfort, and our worldliness. We must die to our comfort in order to receive the greatest comfort of all. 
the question that lingers is, is Jesus really worth following? Yes. Because it is only Jesus who can give you the ultimate comfort of all, a rest of soul. The gospel proclaims that Jesus was willing to become uncomfortable so that we might find true comfort in him. That Jesus left the comfort of heaven and entered into the discomfort and vanity of our world, lived a sinless life, proclaimed the gospel of God, and died a criminal's death on a cross in our place, abandoned by his friends, not even having the comfort of someone with him. And in his death, he took on our sin and our separation from God and took it to the grave and left it there. In his resurrection, he secured peace for us with God and comfort for us in him presently and eternally. Jesus invites you into this rest this afternoon, for it is only when you die to your comfort that you will find rest. Jesus invites you to find rest in him. Rest is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you wonder, how is following Jesus better than pursuing a life of comfort? I would respond with a question. What good is the pursuit of comfort when your heart is restless? Consider one more time, Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor. He's inviting you to come to him and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Christian, what do you need to turn your back on this afternoon? See, many of you are disciples of Jesus. Many of you have found your hope in him. And you need to remember and realize that the world will preach to you that Jesus is cool as long as you're still hunting for comfort. As long as you're still hunting for comfort elsewhere. What do you need to renounce today? What do you need to give up today? In Jesus, remember that you have rest of soul and a fullness of grace from him. You have access to the Father because of Jesus. Therefore, confess your sin before him. Turn away from idols and turn to Jesus today. And if you're not a Christian, I love that you're here because you didn't have to be here but I really appreciate you being here. And the invitation is the same. What do you need to turn your back on? What comfort do you need to reject? Jesus promises you rest of soul, ultimate comfort that is found in him. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin, turn away from idols, and turn to the Lord Jesus, and you 
will find rest. Church, our souls cannot rest when our hearts long for comfort outside of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are forever grateful for you. You call us sons and daughters because we have been reconciled to you through Jesus. Therefore, our deepest comfort has been met in Jesus. Give us grace. Give us clarity. Give us a willing spirit to remember that. We confess that our heart is pulled in many different directions and that we often follow the cravings of comfort outside of Jesus. Lord, take our hearts, keep them, and seal them with rest.